Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hi, everybody. It's Denise, and this is On a Mother Level. It's February, the first week of February 2021. Feels like a bad hangover from 2020 so far. I hope it's going better for you. But we're just trucking along over here on a mother level. And I have another great mom for you to meet today. You are going to hear from my friend Dina. Dina is a friend, and I know you have someone just like her in your life, who you are just so proud of. I'm so proud of the days when we used to live together back in our early 20s. And I'm so proud of where she has gone since leaving our little roommate nest in Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, when we both worked at our very first TV jobs. She's now a lawyer, and you're going to hear about how she made that change. I don't know what it is, but I love talking to women about their pivot. Maybe you feel like you're in a pivot moment now where you're on the cusp of making a change that you never would have imagined you would have made 10 years ago. Sometimes I feel like we're all in the middle of a pivot as we try to figure out what this pandemic life is all about. So you're going to hear about Dina's pivot. And there's a couple factors that were in play at that time of her life between career, between losing her dad and meeting her husband. So all of those were these pivot points. And she so eloquently tells you all about those different things before we talk about having kids. And we have similar situations in that we both have two kids, but we both had different transitions with those kids. And so you're going to hear about that in this episode as well. Then, because it's Super Bowl week, I wanted you to hear from Celia. Celia is in sports here at WQAD, and you may not know that Celia is the person who does these podcast intros. So the voice that you hear at the beginning introducing the podcast, uh, you're the mom, you're the maid, you're the keeper of the cookies, that is Celia. And I know you'll recognize her voice, and I'm so glad that she joined me because I wanted to do a little quick and dirty on the Super Bowl Who are the teams? Who's important on those teams? You're going to lean over to your husband. You're going to drop some Super Bowl knowledge and you are going to blow his mind. And you don't have to tell him that you heard it on a little lady podcast. You just are smart like that and you're in the know and you know what's up. So go you. So that's coming up at the end of the podcast. So that is on a mother level for today. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And when you're done listening, please go to my Instagram. It's at on a mother level. Please give it a follow. We're posting a lot of fun content over there, including my mom fail for this week, which is how bad do I need to do laundry? So bad that my kid went to daycare today wearing those (laughs) socks that you have to wear at the trampoline park with the grippies on the bottoms. Thank goodness four-year-olds think those socks are awesome. (laughs) But that's how bad um, I am mom failing this week. I'm going to do it today. I really will. It's fine. We'll get around to it. Okay, enjoy this episode of On a Mother Level. We're going to start with my friend Dina Witty. Dina Witty. I knew her as Dina Richardson. I confront her about that right off the top. Dina... I thought I was going to be talking to Dina Richardson. Turns out I'm talking to Dina R. Witty, attorney <laughs> at law. When did this happen to you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I just, I ended up getting married. Who would have thought? And uh, my married name is so much shorter and like, you know, you can barely say it with some zing like you just did, Witty. <laughs> 
when I was looking for your email address, I came upon your uh, law firm website and a chill went down my spine. Like, wow, you're so accomplished. I'm so proud of you. You're doing something so, so cool and very, very professional. Well, it honestly looks a lot better than it really is. (laughs) I think that I work really hard. And from where we started, my path has changed so much from when we first met. And I'm really proud of all that I've accomplished. But I'm just still the same. (laughs) Dina Richardson is now witty. At the end. Attorney at law, Esquire. I don't say that. But you can. I mean, you have, you don't have to say that, but it is in the title formally. <laughs> right. Well, you and I know each other because not only did we work together, but we lived together for a time out in Sioux City. You really know the good, bad, and the ugly about me. And, um, well, and vice versa. Well, yes, we may or may not have covered for each other a time or two by leaving a post-it note on the other's door saying, hey, I called in sick today. This is what I said. I have a cough. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really a beautiful that time. Was before I, well, we could text, but we just didn't, I guess. We could text back then, right? I didn't have a smartphone then. I didn't, I know that. I didn't have an iPhone. I had like the ones you punch, you know, punch, you could text, but you had to like push the number buttons, you know? So maybe that's why the post-it was just a hell of a lot faster. We had a lot of wild times during those very brief two years in Sioux City, but we packed a lot of wild times in there. We made the most of it, that's for sure. So from there, you worked in El Paso in TV, and then you decided to make a change and go back to law school. Talk about how you made that decision. When I was in El Paso, I was covering, you know, kind of a crime and court speech. And so a lot of the, the stories that I covered, I was in the courthouse and I was watching trials and reporting on them. And I was meeting attorneys and Um, you know, as I kind of would sit there and do and ask, like, I could do this, you know, like, I could, I could do that. And I could put together a case, that's something I could do. And I just kind of an interest grew. And kind of simultaneously, as that interest grew, I was very slowly coming to the realization that, you know, I just wasn't cut out for a career in broadcast journalism, or it really wasn't fulfilling me, you know, like it just really wasn't where my passion was. And I couldn't see myself doing that long term. Uh, After living in Iowa, I desperately wanted to get back to Texas and I wanted to be closer to my family. I had never been that far away from my family. And I quickly realized that I just, I missed that. And I I did not like having to take a whole day to fly down to see my family. I just kind of realized that I just didn't have any desire to do that. And what I always liked best about uh, reporting was I liked writing. I liked telling the stories. And that's really what being an attorney at a trial level, you do, you're telling a story, you know, and there's a lot of writing involved and you can win cases through your writing and your arguments. And so probably seemed like an abrupt shift, like from the outside, but it was like kind of years of like muddling this around in my brain and kind of giving myself the confidence, like I can do this. And I didn't even study for the LSAT. I just took it, you know, and then kind of when my contract was coming up at El Paso, the thought of like putting together resume tapes and sending them out just made me want to vomit. (laughs) I was like, I just have no desire to do this. And so instead, I started sending out applications to law school. I was a little concerned about the money aspect and paying for it. And like, how was I going to, because it's not like I had a huge reserving of savings from working in the news business, you know? So anyway, but um, I just thought, well, I mean, people do it, but I'll find a way. And I did. It was really the best decision I ever made. I value that time I spent as a reporter and it's honestly made me a better attorney. And I think just a better mom and person It really prepared me for some skills I needed in law school. And particularly when I was interviewing, I just became a really good interview candidate. And I landed my first job, I think, just because I knew how to talk to people and I knew how to present things to them. And I had the confidence to do that because of my background in reporting. At first, when I decided to make the change, I was a little afraid. I was like, well, I wasted all this time. Like I wasted this time doing something that's not going to be my career path. 
but I quickly learned it wasn't a waste. It was just building my skills, you know, that I'm applying in a different way. And I learned valuable things as I got in law school, you know, going in, I thought I was going to be a trial attorney. Um, that's why I watched. And that's why I thought I quickly decided in law school that I really didn't have an interest in criminal law. I, I still at that time thought I would do litigation, but I started interviewing for these very large law firms. I was very blessed to get a very great job with one of the biggest law firms in Texas and work there for a while. But then I sort of had another pivot. Like there's all these like, it's like I kind of float along and then I have these like major changes in my life. <laughs> and whether they're propelled by me or somebody else, it's usually somebody else that kind of gives me the budge to, you know, come on, like get with it, Dina, let's, let's move on here. But so I interviewed and I got a really great job at, at a, a large Texas-based law firm working in litigation, worked there for a few months, I think it was eight or nine months, great firm, loved it, awesome attorneys that I learned, learned from, and honestly, some of the attorneys there I still work with, one is like a mentor to me, I, I just love her to death, so it was a good place, but in between the time I had interviewed that for that job and got it and the time that I actually started working, my dad had passed away. My life just changed forever. It, it really did. And so the way the whole, whole law firm job works is the summer before your last year in law school, you get these sort of like internships, these clerkships. And so I worked at two different law firms all that summer. And then at the end of the clerkship, the hope is that they give you an offer. And I was very fortunate to get offers from both. And I selected one. And then my dad passed away like a week later. It was a sudden loss. I was very close to my dad. You know, he was just one of my favorite people. And he he loved me more than anyone else. You know, like he's like, literally they say somebody would like kill someone for you. Like I can say not even jokingly, my dad would probably kill someone for me. Like I just felt like that love from him was so strong and we had a lot of common interests. And, and, and so anyway, it was just a huge blow. And I was, I guess like uh, 29 then 28, 29, something when that happened, and so that whole last year of law school, I looking back now, I was just in a daze. I was really depressed was what I was. And I had been selected as editor, editor in chief of my law review, which is a, a very time intensive job. And you're like, you're leading a crew of like 50 different people, staff. And, and that's something I had already committed to. And um, I had a place to stay in San Antonio, but I couldn't stay there. I kept coming back to Carn City where my parents are from and which is about an hour's drive away from San Antonio. I ended up driving commuting almost every day because I just couldn't stay at my like apartment in San Antonio by myself. Like I, 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 every time like I drove there, I was like, no, I'm just going to go home. But every day in the car, when I drive, I would cry every day in the car. And then I would like clean my face when I got there and like, okay, I'm here to work and do that kind of thing. But literally, when I say I cried every day, I cried every single day in my car for probably about a year. It was a hard time. Uh, you know, I made it through. I'm sure like if I were to talk to my professors or anything, I'm sure they probably noticed a difference because I just was not there. You know, that happened. And then I was supposed to start my fabulous, wonderful, big law firm job in the fall after I graduated. And I did. And I was better by that time. You know, I was kind of managing things better, but it never really just felt quite right. And in between this time, I had met Tyler, my husband, and that kind of changed things too, you know. And so Tyler and I have known each other forever. We went to school together since we were in kindergarten, but we never really, you know, we were in the same kind of friend circle, but we never really hung out, I would say, you know. And you know, we sort of reconnected, honestly, after my dad died. And really what happened is um, he had done some work for my dad, like with fence and kind of that kind of stuff. And um, after he died, he and his cousin came by my mom's house while I was there and just stopped by to give their condolences and to offer their help because we have a lot of horses and cattle and they're, they said, you know, if you need us to help feed anything to help you, like we we're here for you, just feel free to call us. And, uh, which I thought was very nice, you know, and 
anyway, that was the first time I'd seen him. And I don't know, maybe 10 years, probably about a couple months later, he reached out to me and messaged me to go out to something that I didn't realize was a date, but I later figured out was a date. And so, well, he <laughs> invited me to a branch rodeo, which is very Texas. So, um, uh, yeah. And if people haven't picked up by now, like, yeah, you grew up on a ranch in Texas, you now live on a ranch. And so that's like very much like such part of who you are. Right. Exactly. I grew up riding horses, working cattle, and, and that's what we do. We live on some land and like I drove past a herd of cows coming on my way to town this morning. And yeah. And, and uh, Tyler, he, he li- lives that lifestyle too. And at the time he was competing in these things called ranch rodeos. And it's, sort of like the rodeo you see on TV, but it's not. It's not those events. There are events of things that you typically do on the ranch. So like they have something called double mugging, which is where you rope two steers and then you have to tie them down or you have to, they like fake brand them, like they tie them down and then they brand them with flour. <laughs> they put the branding iron flour and put it on them or they milk a mother cow or something. So they do all these things or doctoring, like if you had a doctor calf, they catch one and pretend that they're doctoring it and it's timed events. And so he invited me to that thing. And I thought it was just like, hey, you know, getting you kind of out of the house, like come with some friends, you know? And it clearly was not. <laughs> well, for Pete's sake. I know. You're also the reason that I found out what mutton busting was. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know what mutton busting was. I remember you said that once. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Should I explain it or is that because see, I think that's you know, I think knowledge. it's well known around here. Around okay. here, like they're that's part of the um like the county fairs around here. Yeah, yeah. You were just left out of the loop because you grew up in the burbs, Denise. Yes. See, I'm like a full-blown cowgirl now living here in Iowa. Lies. <laughs> Okay. So no, I am going to interrupt you a little bit. So, I mean, I'm wondering if you look back now, you know, you're grieving your dad and in walks your handsome cowboy. I mean, you have to feel now like he came back into your life at the right time. He's somebody that your dad knew and liked and respected. I mean, that's got to make you feel good. It does. And it, it, not that my dad sent him to me, but I kind of felt like Tyler doesn't fill the void of my dad, but they're so alike in a lot of ways. They're different in a lot of ways too, that it was, he, he in many ways filled a role that my dad had in my life. And so it's kind of like before with my dad, it's like that was fulfilled. Like I didn't need anybody to do those kind of things and, or that I could like count on or rely on the way I did my dad. It did really like sort of open the door and I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't looking for a relationship. Like I was kind of geared in on my career and like making sure I got this big law job. And the whole goal was to, you know, work there, you know, seven to nine years, make partner, become a partner of this big law firm. And I just never even really thought about, Hey, yeah. What about getting married and having kids or doing things like that? But I was getting into my early thirties and it's just one of those things where, you know, they always say when you're looking for it, you never find it when you just kind of like settle into yourself, like it naturally kind of comes and that's really what happened. And, uh, Tyler, it was really great in that year after my dad in that he's a funny guy and he is very joyful. Like he lives life enjoying it. And he brought a lot of joy to me in a very, very dark time. I, you know, I'm always just very appreciative. And he continues that now, like Tyler's the kind, like we can have arguments or we have disagreements like any married couple, but he's the first to be over it. Like he doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't brood about things or anything. He gets over things way before I do. Like, and he's just always like, okay, you know, we love each other. We're back. You know, like he always kind of brings us back to what our love is. And that's what I love about him. He's just, he's, he's a good person. He's a joyful person and he's a loving and kind person. And so I'm really grateful that whatever the forces have or whatever had to happen that he did come into my life. And, but Tyler was here in Corn City, again, it's about 60 miles away. 
And I was just thinking, how am I going to make this work? You know, like you're working like kind of ridiculous hours working in this law firm, slowly just realizing, you know, my heart is just not here. This is a great firm. I'm with great attorneys. It's a great job, but my heart's not here. My heart is at home and where my mom is and Tyler was at home. And so we just, we talked about it for a while and Tyler's really the one that gave me kind of the guts to do it. Like he always believes in me more than I do my own self. I'm more risk adverse. You know, I do the safe thing, the thing that, you know, I feel like I'll be okay. And he's a risk taker. He's like, you can do it, go after it. And he for months was telling me, you can open up a law practice at home. Like people need attorneys. You will be very busy. You'll, and I was very concerned that I would be sitting in an office twiddling my thumbs and not making any money. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And he said, I promise you, if you just come, he found me my office space. <laughs> he, oh. Yeah, he ran into a guy who had a building in kind of our little downtown Kern City and was looking to rent it out. And he told me, he was like, you need to go look at it. And he went and looked at it with me and I got married. And then I opened my law office the next month and then I got pregnant. <laughs> Let me stop you right there because you and I are both like pretty busy people. And I think that we're the type of friends that like, no matter what time passes, if one of us were to call the other, it's like no time has passed at all. And so that's kind of what happened when you said you were getting married. You called one day and said, I'm getting married. I want you to come. It's going to be soon. Like, let's do this. And I'm like, great, let's do this. And one of my favorite memories from your wedding, well, there's a couple. Number one, I had spent years hearing all about Texas because if I know something about Texas folks now is that you will never not know that they're from Texas. They make it very clear to you uh, that their heart is in Texas. Um, <laughs> so, but I'd heard so many stories about Karn City and this place where you grew up. And so I was really excited to like see this place, you know, for myself. And so Turner and I came down there and we rented a car and we like hung out in San Antonio for a couple of days. And I remember at one moment, like taking a picture in my head because we were parked outside. It must've been like the rehearsal dinner restaurant and it was only pickup trucks. There was not a single <laughs> other type of vehicle other than pickup trucks. And so we parked our little rented Kia Sorento. <laughs> right next to those pickup trucks and we were dying laughing I think it was a Kia Sorento I remember it was whatever little square Kia with the hamsters in the commercial <laughs> Fancy you know hamsters. what I'm talking about like yes. where the hamsters like little paws like tip tapping yeah. up <laughs> so I just like we just died because it, it's such like a ranching community and everyone drives trucks except for the two outsiders who've arrived in a Kia. Clearly <laughs> the out-of-towners. Clearly. The other way we were completely exposed as out-of-towners was in the middle of your wedding and you had a very large wedding um, and everyone was like in a, in a kerfuffle. Everyone was milling around and, and getting all ready for something. And we were like, what is happening? And they were like, you've got to get outside. Everyone needs to leave. I'm like, why are we being thrown out of this wedding right now? It's because there was some grand wedding march that was about the to grand march. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen a grand march before. I've never participated in a grand march before. And I was so, we were so like taken aback and worried about doing the wrong thing that we just like watched it play out. Like, we didn't really <laughs> participate because we didn't know what the heck was happening, but yeah, everybody goes outside and then they all got to come back in in a specific way. Can you explain the concept of the wedding march? Well, yes, the, the Grand March is very traditional. And I'm not sure if it's a Polish tradition or what it is. So, so Karn City is close to the oldest Polish settlement in America, which is named Panna Maria. So there are very, a lot of like, you know, Polish traditions. And I don't know if that's a Polish one, but it's definitely like a rural wedding tradition that you do. And you, yes, you get in two lines and there's always line leaders. These are the like experienced Grand March people who've done like hundreds of Grand Marches over weddings over like 50 years that lead the lines. And you just follow the person in front of you. But what you end up doing, the two lines, they come apart and then they come together and you spin, you do this kind of elaborate pattern and it symbolizes about you like coming apart and coming together in your marriage. It also symbolizes having children and growing. So there's some symbolism in it. 
but it's a lot of fun too. And you don't have to be a good dancer. You just really have to follow the line. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like there were like steps, but like the people who were doing it knew where to go, where to stand, when to move. And we were like, everyone's like, get out, get out. You got it. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so it's very traditional in our area to have these very large weddings in these church halls. Like all the churches in our area have these big halls and you have dances a lot of people come and they always do the grand march. And if they are of Polish descent, there's other dances that they do that are definitely like the Deutsche Deutsche, where you give money and stuff. And anyway, but we just did the grand march because we're not Polish, but it, it is traditional for weddings in our area. And it's kind of fun. But yeah, I guess that is sort of distinctive. I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was very impressive. Like we went home and told people all about it. <laughs> <laughs> So now you have two kids. Yes. Tell me about your little boy and little girl, Dixon and Lula. Yes. Dixon and Lula are, they're just wild. <laughs> they're a lot you. of fun. Dixon just turned five and Lula is uh, 18 months, 19 months, somewhere in there. And they're just what our world revolves around now. They're so much fun. Dixon is a little outdoors man, like just like his daddy. He loves working cattle. He loves riding horses and he loves hunting, hunting. Tina's his big thing and obviously he's five so we're kind of limited in the extent of what he can sure. do but he has his little toy guns he takes and then we've started introducing him with just like gun safety and like you know gun parts and how to hold the gun and this year in dove season he shot his first dove he's a little sharpshooter oh wow yeah. that must have been yeah. such a huge moment for him it was he was so excited and he um he's just very much he loves animals and anything outdoor he I could see him being like a guide or something or a wildlife photographer he loves taking pictures of animals I mean there's so much he can do but he's definitely very passionate about that and he's very creative and imaginative like this weekend I had gotten this like random magazine in the mail and it had some like pictures of like a bear and some other animals. And so I knew he'd like it. So I saved it to show to him and I showed it to him. He said, mama, let's make a book. I was like a book. He said, I'm going to write a book. And so he tore out the pages of animals and cut them out. And I got him some taping, taped him on a page. And then he's starting to learn to write, you know, he, he just turned five so he can write his name and he can write the letters, but I had to tell how to spell some stuff he wrote some of the name of the animals but then he came up with a story for each of the animals and so we wrote that on the page and now we read this book every night <laughs> it's what his a favorite gift. book yeah but <laughs> but I just love his creativity I mean I can see him being he's gonna be like totally like a guy's guy a man's man about stuff but he's also very, very intellectual in like a different way you know he he thinks things through. He he's very creative and comes up with things. So I think he's kind of a, a really good mesh of Tyler and I, you know, I think he takes off like both of our strong suits and somehow kind of melds them together. He is a little mischievous, which he gets from Tyler for sure. <laughs> Tyler always jokes that uh, every day of his life growing up, he got a spanking and it's a joke, but it's true. He was just bad. He was like, he would, push his sister and like, you know, do me, like, he pushed her off the moving truck one time. Like he was kind of uh, just not so good, but she is. Dixon's not that far. I would, he has a very kind heart. He's so good with Lula. He's a really good big brother. And Lula, she's just a little rough and tumble girl. I don't know if it's something about being the second child or something, but she's down to play with Dixon. He can wrestle with her and it's kind of like the rougher, the better. Like she's, just like all for it. She wants to be big, just like him. And they have like, <laughs> we always joke that they're going to have like a little comedy show. And so the latest thing is, I guess it's with his age, but Dixon is like really into sort of potty talk right now, like talking about toot and poop and stuff like that. And which, you yes. know, we're trying to teach about the appropriateness of stuff and, you know, but the latest thing, their little shtick is he'll tell Lula, he says, Lula, toot. And she goes, like that with her lips. And he'll say, toot. And she goes, and so they do this back and forth. And we're like, not at the table, guys. Not at the table. <laughs> but they're just little 
messes and they're a ball of fun and, and we just love them to death and they're little kind of outdoor kids you just because of where we live and stuff and we're such outdoors people but they're a lot of fun <laughs> so i'm actually talking to you today on my two-year-old's birthday my littlest guy is turning two today so Lula's not too far behind. You know, it's like you're emotional about both your kids, but I get particularly emotional about Everett because he and I had such a tough start to his life together. You know what I mean? He and I really, he and I really grew during that time period. And I was looking back at some pictures and it's like, I can remember exactly how I felt in those early days and had a hard time with postpartum depression and postpartum breastfeeding issues. And it was very difficult for us. And in addition to already having a child at home, you know, so what transition do you think was harder for you? Adding one or adding that second? For me, it was one. But I think that having that hard transition for Dixon really helped me prepare mentally more for Lula. With Dixon, he, I always hate the phrase when people say, oh, is he a good baby? Is he a good baby? And it, it breaks my heart because all babies are good. Some babies just require more attention or care or, you know, that, that, and that's just what he was. I could never set him down. He would immediately start crying and fussing. And I struggled with breastfeeding with him. It was really important that I did that in, in my mind. And I, it was like, I was constant. Like I would breastfeed him for like 30, 45 minutes. I would lay him down and literally 10 minutes later, he would wake up screaming and we would do this all night long, all day long. And I remember my mom was helping me out some, but oh, thank goodness for my mom. She was also, we had a relative who had cancer at the time. She was trying to help her. So she wasn't as present for my first child as she was the second. But I remember telling her like, is this my life? Like I will never sleep again. I will, this is forever. Like I just felt like this was going to be forever. And she just told me in the best way, she said, I know it just seems awful right now and excruciating and you're tired and you just feel like you can't do it. And she said, I promise you when you look at, back at this time, you're going to realize how short it was. Like it is going to pass. You're going to get through this. And, you know, you're doing all the right. She was very smart. You're doing all the right things. You know, we'll get through it. And that was so key because I just felt like I was failing as a mom, like that I, and it turns out I have like low supply. I ended up having to do like triple feeds where I would breastfeed him, I would bottle feed and I would pump. And I was doing that every two and a half to three hours. And that will suck your soul. I mean, it really will. I mean, kudos to all the women who do it or feel to do it. But Dixon was always healthy, but you know, we had a check where he was not gaining and he wasn't losing up. And that's why I started doing all that stuff. And they had me power pump and do all the stuff. And I just felt like I couldn't get anybody to give me the answers of like the key of what was going to make it where I finally had enough supply where this kid would finally be content and would be able to sleep and I, I think part of it too was, you know, I live in a rural area. I was having to drive to San Antonio to go see like a, a breastfeeding consultant, that kind of thing. And that was really inconvenient because basically I had to like plan my feeds, like feed the baby to make the drive because then I was going to have to feed him again before the appointment. So just going to the consultant was stressful, like trying to time it all out. And you know, I eventually ended up supplementing with formula and his pediatrician was the best. She's actually a, a friend. She was like, it is okay. She said, you're doing what you can and what you can do is that is great. The baby will be fine. And so, but I couldn't help like for months afterward, I struggled with this feelings of like being a failure because I couldn't feed my kid. And if I had lived in a different time without formula, my kid probably would have starved or something. Like I had these like thoughts, I very like self-deprecating thoughts, like my boobs aren't even functional, you know, like if they're not going to be functional, they could at least be like double D's or something. Like they could either look good or at least be functional, you know, like stupid stuff like that, you know, and, but I struggle with that a lot and a lot of it, you know, it's hormones and, and plus you're sleep deprived. But a lot of what I struggled with too was I had now looking back, I didn't realize that at the time I had really um, a lot of anxiety. And once we finally got Dixon where he would sleep for a little bit, I didn't ever want to leave him unattended. 
And so one of the things we found is we had one of those boppy lounger things. And if I swallowed him and set him in that, it seemed like he would sleep longer than if I put him in the crib or something. We didn't have any luck with the rockers. He would never sleep in that, but he'd sleep in that lounger. Well, of course, you're not supposed to let them sleep in that thing, like unattended, you know, because of the SIDS risk and stuff. So I would put him on that thing on the floor and I would sleep on the couch next to him, like looking at him. And like, I'm sure I fell asleep at some point, but I basically just watch him until he woke up again and I would feed him because I was deathly afraid that he was going to die. I didn't mind other people holding him or see him, but I didn't like it if they left the room or walked away from me. Like, for instance, my mother-in-law came to kind of help out one time and try to help me get a nap, you know, like get some sleep. And she took Dixon and went in the other room. And I, I don't think I rested the whole time. Like, I just, I did not like the idea of the baby being taken away from me. And now looking back, like, I, I never really sought help for this stuff. But looking back, I, I think that's clearly anxiety. I'm not a doctor or anything. But I was clearly having some issues that I probably should have talked to my doctor more about. And some of that, I think, stems from the fact that I, I had had a miscarriage before uh, having Dixon. And the whole time that I was pregnant with Dixon, I was worried that I was going to lose the baby. Like I really was worried that the whole time that I was pregnant with him. And, and then even after I was worried that something was going to happen and he was going to die. And so it just took a while for me to like realize like, it's okay. Like bad things do happen. You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but he's fine, you know, and I'm fine. And finally got over that. So but by the time that we had Lula, they're spaced three and a half years apart. And that's because I knew that just like mentally and physically, I could not handle having another kid sooner. Like I just knew that it would be too much for me. They're three and a half years apart. But by that time, I kind of was like, was preparing myself like, I may have these feelings, you know, and what am I going to do if I do have these feelings? And, and on the breastfeeding thought, I have made the decision. I'm not going to go crazy pumping. Like I will pump some, but I'm not going to do it every two and a half, three hours. I'm going to do it when it feels right for me and what I can do. And I'm not, and plus I have an older kid. Like, it's like, I can't devote myself all this time because I have another child to take care of. After having Dixon, was, it was really rough, postpartum was for me, but it helped out because I knew more what to expect and kind of what my triggers might be when I had Lula. And fortunately with Lula, I was able to really enjoy it more, you know, unless God has other plans, we're planning on Lula being our last child. And so I really kind of was able to soak it more in of like, these are the moments and this, that kind of thing. And I'm grateful for that. I kind of wish I would Something I didn't appreciate Dixon, I did, but I was just, <laughs> there was always this overwhelming fear that he might die, you know, <laughs> which is, it's crazy. But anyway, it's, nobody expects motherhood to be like easy. Um, it seems like some people kind of take on to it a little bit, you know, faster or, or easier with in more stride than I did, but it was a huge shift. And I, you know, it's worth every penny. I mean, obviously I love my kids, but and it's not that it's not that like my mom didn't tell me about stuff or that I was left in the dark. I just honestly don't think I really sought out that information, you know, and I, I read all the baby books and stuff, but I think when you're in it, and I think that's something when I, when you were kind of talking on your podcast about your postpartum depression, like I really applaud you because you were able to recognize it while you were in it. And I felt like when I was in it with those feelings and my experience is obviously different than your experience, but I wasn't able to really recognize it until way after the fact. And I don't know why that is. I think that was because I had such an easy transition with Abram. Abram um, was, Abram, everything went pretty well. I mean, his birth was a little rough, but like, I went through a period of time with Abram where I was like, I'm going to prove to everyone that I am the best at this. I can like, will not skip a beat. I will get all the housework done. You know what I mean? And I, it, I was in this mindset of watch me do this. And thankfully that mindset was complemented by the fact that Abram cooperated. Now, if I had had that mindset and then things went badly, 
you know, things would have gone south downhill really quickly. And I think that's what happened with Everett is I was so ready for this second kid. I've got it down. No problem. And then Everett was just not going to fall in line with my plans of just nailing it. And so I think I knew that this was not how this was supposed to go. And I was not handling it well. And so in a way, I'm a little jealous that you got to have that do over with Lula, because that's my one sort of just nagging feeling of feeling like I wasn't up to snuff as a mom with Everett. And I didn't enjoy his babiness because I was so broken myself. And so I like, we're leaving another child up to the universe So far, the universe has said absolutely not. But yeah, when I think about the potential of having a third child, I think about the opportunity to to do over, to do better. And I know that that's sort of an absurd thought and that Everett will never see it that way. Yeah, I mean, he obviously, you were obviously a great mom, even though you were struggling with something, he was well taken care of, very much loved. You know, he'll be fine and he's not going to remember any events that may or may not have transpired. And I mean, the other thing is too, and it's kind of like when I was braced, not bracing myself for a little, but kind of like, you know, getting into my game, like I kind of thought, well, there is a possibility, maybe it'll even be worse, you know, like maybe, you know, there is possibility that it could be, there could be other complications or, you know, God forbid that there have been some kind of health problem with, you know, health issue with, with my children, you know, I had some kind of pregnancy health issues, but fortunately my kids were, were fine. They were healthy the whole time. And I thought, gosh, for people who have kids that, you know, have some kind of, you know, breathing problems or there are so many things like that's just like a whole nother level, you know, but I always try to think of the worst, which is probably not a good thing. (laughs) But then whenever things turn out better, you know, but it's like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) I always felt like that one-year-old age, like once they reached one You've now sort of like survived the worst of it and you're like not so much in the trenches anymore. Do you think you're out of the trenches right now? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think there's kind of levels. Like I think at three months, it's kind of like you can breathe in and then six months you're starting food and it seems like they're a little more content. And then definitely at that one year mark where you're quitting, you know, bottles, you're, you're switching to regular milk, you know, stuff like that. And I feel like you start feeling more like yourself or for me anyway, start feeling more like who I am because I guess you're less, not less focused on the immediate needs of your kid. You just start kind of feeling more like your old self. And I feel like even now, now that we're 18 months out, I feel that more and more as time passes, fixing my hair more, you know, like, you know, getting on different clothes and like, you know, stuff like that. And just kind of feeling like, putting myself together more. Whereas when you're in that kind of first year, I just feel like you're in the trenches, you know, you're, you're just, you're just trying to get everybody's needs met and doing what you have to do. But there's not a whole lot of extra time for just like you just to be in your thoughts or to do a whole lot of things that you would like to do outside of work, kids, you know, getting, you know, food on the table, that kind of thing. So I definitely feel it's like, once you get past you know, and now it's just like all enjoying. I remember with Dixon, I just kept feeling, and I guess maybe that was the one good thing about having it so rough from the beginning is the feeling was it just keeps getting better and better. And, you know, as they get older and start developing their personalities and doing more and, you know, going through other stages, it's just like, gosh, this just gets better and better and better. And so that's kind of the one plus of kind of having a rough start. (laughs) And maybe you feel that way regardless, but um, it's, you get to enjoy them more as people. And I think that, you know, some people are just naturally more baby people than others. I don't think I'm really a natural baby person. I love my own babies and I love other people's babies too, but I was never one of those. Let me hold your baby. Let me, you know, that's kind of not me. So that might've been another reason why it was maybe a little more rough for me, but I think that I appreciate the, their growth and seeing them become people and seeing like who they are and kind of their own thoughts that 
they come up with and you kind of think, where did they come up with that? And you start realizing that's all them, you know, that is, that's not something they even heard or that they're parenting back to you. That's just in their own little insane little minds, you know, which is super cool. I agree. Recently, Abe's really been expressing himself about things that he likes and the things that other people say to him. And so his big thing right now, and he talked about it again this morning for the fourth day in a row, he got a little haircut and he wanted to look like Shark Boy, you know, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. And so he wants me to spike it up. And every day he says, my friends say I don't look like Shark Boy. (laughs) And he's like, can you, can you make it, can you make it more Sharpie? He says. More Sharpie. And I'm like, you know, pulling at his hair with the stupid gel. And he's like, no, it needs to be more Sharpie. And I'm like, okay. He's like, they're going to say I don't look like Shark Boy. Oh, so I mean, obviously he has terrible friends, <laughs> but yeah, just like their, their little minds and, and how he wants to be perceived to his friends. It's just like, it fascinates me endlessly. Yeah. Dixon's kind of the same way where like, show and tell is kind of a big like his favorite thing when they do show and tell and he really puts a lot of thought into what he's going to take for show and tell and he's like mom I think they're really going to like this like he got this King Kong gorilla thing he said I'm taking King Kong to Miss Tammy's and you know what mama I think everyone's going to love him I said I think they will I said I love him so whether they love him or not you love him I love him and he's like no they're all going to love it (laughs) I'm like okay He's very concerned about, you know, what other people think. I think that's a stage, like wanting to please, you know, to make friends and have common interests, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it's just a product because Abe and Dixon aren't that far off either. I think they're maybe like a year or so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. September 2016. Yeah. And Dixon is December 2015. So yeah, less than a year. I have to let you go um, so that you can get your kids to the dentist, but I just want to end really quickly. Are you watching Yellowstone? Yes. Well, I'm not watching it right now, but I have watched all the seasons and I'm ready for the next season. Yes. <laughs> well, we like, we are enthralled. We love every second of it. And I always think of you when I watch it because, you know, it's like takes place on a ranch, but I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, how many people you have personally killed for the good of this ranch. And, um, you don't have to answer that, but after hearing about your dad's level of protectiveness for you, I feel confident that there's at least one. (laughs) Yeah. We have our own train station. (laughs) Helicopter. Yeah. No, we love that show. And you part of it, you know, they just really don't make a lot of Westerns anymore, you know, so it's sort of one of the only sort of modern Westerns. And, you know, some of it's pretty spot on about, uh, you know, like kind of working life on ranch. Some of it's definitely like, you know, poor TV and exaggerated, but it's a lot of fun. And gosh, I love me some Beth. Like, <laughs> and Beth is my spirit animal. <laughs> oh. Yeah, she's a hardcore lady. That's for yeah. sure. She's got some issues, but whatever. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> well, we're we're in the middle of the second season, so we've um we've got a little ways to go, but yeah, we're enjoying it. And I always think of you when I watch it, particularly like when they're doing some of like the you know the ranch type skills, because it's just like things that I remember you talking about learning when you were a kid, and and it's like just helps kind of put some of those like things more of a visual. Yeah, and I like it. You know, it's kind of neat. I relate to some of it in some way, like whenever, you know, Beth is kind of talking to these like sort of more urban guys and who like are hitting on her and she wants like nothing to do with it. And then she's all about Rick, who's like, you know, the very, you know, uh, you know, rural, like work with your hands kind of person. I'm like, that's how I relate to, to Beth. I don't have like, you know, I didn't, my mom didn't die. I don't have alcohol issues, but I'm like kind of the same way. Like I always liked a guy that kind of like works with his hands, very capable and stuff. And like, I would have never married an attorney. It just would not have worked out. I understand. I understand. I married an electrician and there's good reason for that. So yeah. (laughs) Well, Dina, thank you so much. I appreciated talking to you. I know it was so nice catching up just briefly. I I know. And I just love your podcast. I think it's so cool. And I think even though I'm not living in the quad cities, I think moms everywhere can really relate to some of the things that you guys talk about and, and your guests. And I just think it's awesome. I 
I really loved that conversation with Dina. And if you have not watched it, you need to start watching Yellowstone. That's another thing that you can do to impress your husband this week. Suggest that you guys watch Yellowstone. Little bit on the violent side, uh, but overall, real psychological thriller takes place on a ranch. A lot of sex appeal, I think, on that ranch, too. Anyway, I think you can watch it on the Paramount Network, and then it streams on the Peacock Network. Anyway, Yellowstone, that's my recommendation for you for this week. Up next, I'm going to welcome Celia to talk to you about the Super Bowl, who you should be rooting for, a little pop culture around the Super Bowl, a lot of firsts happening in this Super Bowl, including the first female ref to officiate the Super Bowl. So you're going to hear all about that with Celia. Celia Palermo is the voice of On a Mother Level, and you're finally on the podcast. What a delight. It's about time, Denise. It's been almost two years. <laughs> you know, it really has been. I appreciate the reminder, um, but I feel like people should know that I adore your voice. I could listen to it always. You have the voice of an angel, and so people are really going to enjoy the next 10 minutes of listening to you. Tripped out. They're going to be like, wait, I just heard that voice. There it is again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on because I need you to just give us a quick and dirty look at this Super Bowl so that when you're sitting on the couch with some friends or doing whatever COVID friendly party you are going to have, <laughs> that you can maybe like toss out some fast facts or maybe yeah. you will be more educated in your Super Bowl betting and such. So first, let me ask you this. First of all, have you ever covered a Super Bowl like in the flesh? And is it like a bucket list moment for you? I have never covered a Super Bowl. I've actually never covered any NFL game yet. I've okay. covered the national championship for college, but haven't had a crack at the NFL yet. Definitely a bucket list item. I feel like I can't be a sports reporter if I have no interest in <laughs> a Super Bowl, right? Like that's that's the ultimate goal for sure. Yeah, I mean, and it's a great one this year too as well, but you're right. I think the real casualty here is the lack of Super Bowl parties. Like I can't I know. tossing around wings to friends left and right, you know, got to enjoy them by myself on the couch. <laughs> and at some point we're going to report on how you can have a Zoom Super Bowl party. And that's when I throw my computer at somebody. <laughs> exactly. No interest in that. No interest in that. So in terms of Super Bowl matchups, I feel like this is a good one because you have two First of all, I mean, is the big story really these quarterbacks? Yeah, do you think? absolutely. Okay. It's like the old guard and the new guard. You've got Tom Brady, who is, you know, obviously pretty much already cemented himself as the GOAT. If he wins another Super Bowl with a team in his first year with the team, you know, that's just like an exclamation point on 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 a career like that. But then you've got Patrick Mahomes, the young guy who who comes into Kansas City and really takes the reins and and becomes everything that everyone wanted him to be, you know, he, they're the reigning Super Bowl champs. They won last year. Uh, they beat my team, the 49ers. So, um, I'm still a little bit triggered by that. Um, <laughs> but he has a chance to really show kind of the passing of the torch almost if he can beat Brady. I mean, that's a really big deal, but I mean, this game is in Tampa. Uh, this is the first time ever that one of the teams playing in the Super Bowl is doing so uh, at their home venue. It's being hosted at Raymond James Stadium. But you just don't have the same hype as, as you do in a normal year. You know, the Chiefs can only come into town max two days prior to the game. You're not going to oh. see these big media circuses, the parties, the events, you know, leading up to the actual game that they normally do the week of. Um, it's going to be pretty, pretty business as usual. But like you mentioned, it's, it's kind of all about the quarterbacks right now. So wait, how much of a crowd is going to be allowed in? What's the rules right now? So a couple of thousand are going to be in there, including, wow. I'm sure you have heard this, um, several of those will be randomly selected healthcare workers who have been vaccinated, who are oh. getting free tickets to the Super Bowl in the Tampa area. So a really cool opportunity for them, of course. Um, it's in Florida, of course, and we know that Florida has, uh, has, has had a different situation throughout this pandemic. So you know, just no surprise that there will be, there will be fans in the stands as well. So that'll be interesting to see. Well, it almost uh, takes away a little of the home court advantage just because, did I say court? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it takes away that home advantage to not have your big 
home crowd, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Because you know that the Tampa Bay area would come in droves to to support the Buccaneers. I mean, it's been rough for the Buccaneers. Um, they certainly would have relished this opportunity to be present and um, and rally around their team. So, yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right that you kind of lose a lot of that advantage there. And plus the Chiefs, I mean, they're a nationwide team now. There's Chiefs fans everywhere. So, you know, I, I think there will be plenty of Chiefs fans in the stands as well to, to cheer them on. What's that stat that I heard that was like, Patrick Mahomes was in kindergarten when Brady was what? Like, was that his first season or something? Yeah, I mean, Patrick that- Mahomes is 24 and Tom Brady's 43. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's quite the contrast there. I mean, it's just crazy. Tom Brady's still at 43 years old. I mean, that's not old, but when you're playing a professional sport, like, you know what I mean? It seems like, geez, are you ever going to have a decline in your athletic ability? It's, it's insane. Um, Unreal. Yeah. Well, and so our... I feel like both of these guys are known as like pretty good guys too. You know what I mean? Like we just had like Patrick Mahomes having like the big proposal and like baby on the way and the whole thing. And of course, Tom Brady married to the supermodel. Like they're both known as good dudes overall, right? Or what don't we know about these guys? They're known as good dudes off the field, but when it comes to on the field, they're probably opposing team fans, least favorite person in the world. I I can never hate Patrick Holmes because he's just this like golden child right he like does no wrong it's easy to hate Tom Brady because he's won so much you know I mean six Super Bowl rings and it's like geez when you're on the other side of it it's really easy to not like him but you're right they both have pretty squeaky clean images and how do you not like those guys and how do you not cheer for them when they're when they're doing such big things for these teams and these fan bases one really cool thing about this Super Bowl is there are going to be four Hawkeyes playing in the Super Bowl. Ooh, that's good to know. Yeah, two on each team. Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman for Kansas City and Tristan Wirfs and Anthony Nelson for Tampa Bay. So, you know, we have a little bit of Iowa representation there and easy to, to rally around those guys as well. Tristan Wirfs, he's a rookie offensive lineman for the Bucks, And, oh, my gosh, he should easily be rookie of the year. This year really? Have, oh, yeah, with how he's protected Tom Brady. I mean, yeah. Uh, and what a way to start your career too, you know? Seriously. Yeah, that's not bad at all. You're not then giving me good reasons to choose one of the other. <laughs> other, Like, okay, quarterbacks, you know, you can pick one that you like. All right, with two Hawkeyes on each side. Okay, like what's going to be the defining factor on who, who do I pick? Oh, gosh. See, that's hard because it, it really depends what you want to go for. Do you want to see a, a changing of the guard in, in the NFL? Do we want to see this young quarterback really take over and show that he's the new guy that that's going to do what Tom Brady did and maybe more, or do we want to see Tom Brady get another Super Bowl? And who's to say if this is his last season, I don't think it is, but I can't imagine he will go out without winning another Super Bowl. And, you know, at his age, those opportunities become more limited. Patrick Mahomes will certainly win another Super Bowl in his career. Tom Brady, you got to wonder. And that's for me. I mean, like, listen, I'm not biased or anything, but how can you root against Tom Brady? You know, I mean, it's really difficult. He's the GOAT. He's going to get it done. This one really could be a shootout offensively. I mean, the Chiefs are not known for their good defense. They certainly are known for their potent offense. The Buccaneers, they have scored at least 30 in their last six games, um, and that puts them in a position to, to compete with the Chiefs. But the defensive coordinator for the Bucs used to work with Andy Reid, which is um, the Chiefs head coach when they were in Philadelphia. So we can't expect a pretty good defensive game plan to limit the Chiefs offense. But Patrick Mahomes is the kind of guy that's going to get it done pretty much just anyway, and you can't count him out at any point. And that's the thing with the Chiefs. Even when they get down early in these games, you just can never count them out because they always find a way to get back. Yeah. um, Players should we be keeping an eye on? Hmm, Okay. So to keep an eye on, I would on the buck side of things, Rob Ronkowski. I mean, another play that Tom Brady brought with him to the buck. Okay. I know that name. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, Antonio Brown. Those are all guys that are going to do do good things. On the Chiefs side of things, Patrick Mahomes, of course, the star of the show, but Travis Kelsey also looking really good. 
McCole Hardman, he's a Georgia Bulldog. I mean, he had a pretty big mistake in the championship game, but he rebounded after that and was able to come back and look good after that. And Tyreek Hill, he's pretty hard to deny as well. Plenty of good guys on both sides to root for. Really a lot to think about here. You're really presenting both sides of this argument very well. Yeah. Uh, Chiefs are favored by three at last look. That's what's, what you're going to find out about this game. It's going to be a shootout, and it's going to be close, um, but it's going to come down to to the offense, and uh, I'm excited. Are you more likely to go to the bathroom during the game or during the commercials? Commercial. I'd rather skip. Okay. I'm just curious. What? I would choose the game. During the game? <laughs> well, I mean, especially if, like, things are just kind of, like, if nothing really is exciting happening, that's a good time for me to step away. <laughs> think this game is going to be one of those they're going to be scoring touchdowns a lot and often so you don't want to miss that you know okay so. which team has like the better kicker because I feel like sometimes there's that like extra point situation or the the three-point situation that can make or break no <laughs> I don't know I'm just curious I always sign up for Matt's Super Bowl pool and I always like end up getting like the number seven or three and I'm always like, yes, jackpot. And then like five and two wins. And I'm like, what bizarre combination of scores always ends in a five and a two. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that numbers game. Yeah. (laughs) Let me just say this. Their kicker is not the reason why either of these teams are at this point. Okay. They don't don't need their kicker to win this for them. I'll just say that. All right. Well, you're going to feel real dumb when it comes down to like a field goal. Yeah. Watch that. Watch that. Field goal. That's the word I was looking for. Wow. Am I out of practice talking about (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. One last thing I wanted to bring up was um, the Super Bowl will feature another first with a woman as an official for the first time ever. Sarah Thomas is going to be one of the officials on this game. And I mean, that's just a huge freaking deal. That is really cool. What's her background? What do you know about her? You know, she's been one of the trailblazers in the league in terms of officials um, for the NFL. And and gradually we've seen her more and more and in more big games. Uh, I don't know a ton about her background, um, but, you know, she has been one of those names and faces that have come up when you do hear in the headlines, hey, a female is going to be officiating this game. It's usually her. Um, And so she's been one of the first, better not be the last. But, I mean, what a way to 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 cap off this NFL season with another first like that. No, I love that. I think that's super cool. And uh, I wish there was a way to like root for her specifically. <laughs> <laughs> are there, yeah. Are there any betting lines for her? That There's gotta up? be. I bet you. A certain amount of like, calls this yeah. way. Yeah. What, um, do you know what position like of refing she will be in? Where will we have to look for her? I'm sure there's going to be plenty of, of featured shots of her. Down judge. Sarah Thomas. So she's the only female on the crew. That's awesome. Yeah, that is super cool. I remember when she like was the first to like join the league in general. Yeah, that was in 2015. She joined the NFL as its first female on-field official. Apparently you need a minimum of five years experience to be on the Super Bowl as well as in-season performance. She has worked a total of four postseason games in six seasons with the league. Her elite wow. performance and commitment to excellence has earned her the right to officiate the Super Bowl, according to the NFL executive vice president, Troy Vincent. Um, and just the other day, it was that Washington, Washington football team named Jennifer King, the assistant running backs coach on Tuesday, which makes her the first full-time black female coach in NFL history. So Dang. I'm really loving where the league is going. The 49ers had a female coach uh, this last season. I think she- She's moving on to a different team now, but this is good. This should have happened a long time ago, but I think more and more we are seeing women in sports to stay, not just in certain roles. Right. Well, that includes you too, you know. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's not always easy being a female in this industry, but it is certainly rewarding. And, you know, I don't really care what people think about me, so. <laughs> well, they're going to love your voice. That's my absolute favorite thing about Celia. Um, your expertise is also unmatched. So thank you so much. I'm going to call it right now. I'm okay. going to, I'm going to root for the Buccaneers. I'm going to go old guard on this. You're right. I think Patrick Mahomes has plenty more time to do cool things. And I'm also rooting for his fiance and her baby. Cause I think, I'm- <laughs> you know, okay. I'm going to make a call too. <laughs> Here's the thing. 
who I want to win, who I think is going to win. I okay. think the Chiefs are going to win. Ooh. I, but I want the Buccaneers to win. Okay. That's, okay. That's, how impartial is that? Do you remember, was it last year when they kept showing that like Giselle celebration selfie and she was like, yes, how many Giselle celebration selfies are we going to see? Hopefully many, but I actually think we're going to see some Mahomes fiance celebration selfies too. She's like a TikTok star as well. Oh, of course she is. (laughs) Gotta love it. That sounded awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Got you. Celia is a pro. We are so fortunate to have her on the sports team at the station. So thanks so much to her. And you're welcome for sounding like an idiot talking about sports for your benefit. That is going to be it for this episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you would, share this podcast with a friend. Let somebody know that there's a mom community out there that no matter what, no matter what socks your kid is wearing this week, no matter what you serve for dinner, this mom community is one that can relate. This is On a Mother Level. I'm your host, Denise Anitka. Jordan Franks, as always, is our editor. We appreciate him and all his hard work as well. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.